Last week we concluded a series in the Gospel of Mark. And this week we start a series on the whole Bible. It is called The Best Story Ever. And this morning we're going to be in Genesis. The iconic phrase, once upon a time in a land far away. Or depending on the story, it could be far, far away. There once was a king, or there once was a prince, or there once was a queen. There once was a princess. Stories of kings and queens, princes and princesses. If you type that into Google, once upon a time in a land far away, millions and millions of results pop up. And perhaps when you hear that introductory phrase, the stories of childhood fill your mind. Or perhaps if you, have, if you are a parent currently and you are reading those stories to your children, perhaps a couple of those stories come to your mind. Those harmless and beautiful stories of imagination where we can escape today and enjoy something non-related to our struggles. However, we all are living a story. It's the story of us, the story of you, the story of me. It's the story of our families. We here in Bremen are living the story of Bremen. We're living the story of the state of Indiana. We are also living the American story. And then there is the story of our world. So there is a grand story. There is the story of us individually and many stories in between. And as we consider these stories and try to make sense of them, try to make sense of our identity, try to make sense of the world we are a part of, the Bible helps us grasp these stories. In fact, the Bible is the ultimate story that helps us understand just our story, but also the greatest and biggest story of the world itself. The Bible starts, no surprise to us who are familiar with our Bibles, with Genesis 1.1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible concludes its story with a yet future time when the new creation arrives in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So there is the beginning and the end of the scriptures of what I'm calling the best story ever. It is a beautiful story. It is a story that is grand. It is a story that is comprehensive. It is a story that covers and formulates and explains everything. And my concern is that as we, from week to week, month to month, year to year, we drill down into parts of that story. And 
drilling down and getting specific is really important. It's very helpful. But I've begun to be concerned that many of us, even though we know our Bibles and we know what's in our Bibles, we know the contents of from book to book and chapter to chapter, many of us know our Bibles really well, that many of us, even though we understand the specifics, are a lot weaker in understanding the overall story and how it fits together. Even though our Bibles make up, are made up of 66 books with different themes, different styles, many of them, most of them different authors, they all were together by God's design, orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. It was God breathed out, and it is a unified whole with a story and a theme that is beautiful and wonderful. In fact, the story of the Bible is the best story ever. It doesn't get any better than the story of the Bible. And so we can describe the storyline, the overarching themes of the Bible, and bring them together for God's story for us. And when we study that, when we engage in that, it gives us focus and it gives us hope. It gives us clarity in this broken world. So I have a concern, this is a concern I'm trying to address with this series. And this is on your handout there. So my concern that I'm trying to address with this sermon series is that we get lost. That's your first blank. We get lost and lose the big picture, and I should put of the Bible there, we get lost and lose the big picture of the Bible, resulting in a lack of hope and celebration. I believe because we are not as strong as understanding the big picture, the big theme, the big storyline of the Bible, that we lose out on celebration and hope. There is a confidence. There is a joy. There is an all-out celebration for those who know God's big story of the Bible. And it's a wonderful thing. It helps identify you and center you in this life when you're getting pulled in every which way direction or you don't know what's going on. Whenever you are confused, befuddled, I love the word befuddled, whatever it is, you know, you just can't make sense of everything that's happening or you're struggling with your priorities or which way do I go or which view is right on a current cultural issue that everybody's fighting about. I'm not even going to mention the specifics. You can always go back to the best story ever and center yourself within that and find hope and celebration. So the series goal, that was the series concern, the series goal is let's read. Let's read the best story ever and put it into our own words and celebrate it. Together, as a church, and individually. Let's read the best story ever, put it into our own words, and celebrate it. 
together and individually. That's my goal with this sermon series. Now, what I mean by read, we're not going to read the whole Bible through here in the sermon series. That would take our whole entire lives to read it and preach it. Um, No preacher is ever able to completely, thoroughly preach through the Bible, even the greatest of them. Although many have come close, it's just too much there. So what I mean by read is let's engage it, let's examine it, let's go over the big themes and see how they fit together and how the Bible fits together to make up this wonderful, best story ever. And as we are reading it together, and as I'm preaching it and you're thinking about it, for you to be able to put it in your own words, so that by the time I'm done with this series, you will be able to, in your own words, put together and put and say what you think the best what the, the best story ever, and to formulate it, to speak it, to explain it to yourself, to your family, to your friends. And right now, I think many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us would struggle to put that into our own words. And therefore, we're not able to adequately celebrate it. So this week, we are going to do our first reading of the best story ever. We're going to look into the first part of Genesis. It's a big piece, and it's a familiar piece, but we still need a fresh look at it. And we're just going to look at the first 11 chapters. Next week, we're going to look at the remaining chapters. Uh, Most books of the Bible, I will just cover one Sunday at a time. I was not able to do that. (laughs) with Genesis. So the Genesis key point that I want you, I'm going to try with each book of the Bible (coughs) to give you a key point for that book. So the Genesis key point is the Bible is the best story ever. And Genesis is the once upon a time. Once upon a time. Now, One key distinction, Genesis is not fictional. It's not just a story in the land far, far away. Genesis is the story of our world, the story of of our whole entire world and universe, but it's also our individual story as well, and all the stories in between. Genesis is the beginning of that story. It is the once upon a time. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin this series, please cover my weaknesses, and may I be clear and bring you glory, and we pray this morning, as we consider Genesis, the first part of it, that we would be refreshed, encouraged, and we'd also celebrate what Genesis gives to the best story ever. And Jesus, this is your church, you are the great shepherd, and we want to glorify you, and we pray these things in your name, amen. Number one this morning, the beauty of the beginning. The beauty of the beginning. Here, a couple of weeks ago, I was in my grad class, um, and a couple, there's, a, there's a couple of us, uh, six of us, who are the older students, and the rest are, are young students. And we were talking about that many people, they want to talk about the fall. We're going to get to that here in a few minutes. The fall in Genesis 3 and how humanity fell into sin and we failed to celebrate the beauty 
of the beginning and the beauty that God created. We all talk about what's broken and we don't celebrate what's beautiful. And so here this morning in the beginning of Genesis, we are going to celebrate the beauty that God gave us. The beauty of the beginning only comes from God. And even our ability to appreciate beauty is something that only comes because you and I are created in God's image. Now, as you look at God being the source of things, God being the one who brought everything into existence and that it was beautiful, just on your own time, you can go in in your Bible. Some of you don't like to write in your Bible. For those of you who do, you can circle every time God is a subject of a sentence in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Just circle how many times. And if you don't like to write in your Bible, then write it in your journal or on the handout. Write how many times God is a subject of the sentence. And so here, at the very beginning, as we talk about the beauty of the beginning, God is the author of beauty. It only comes from Him. So, 1A, beauty through greatness. I have a lot of blanks this morning. That's not normal for me, but it just seemed appropriate for the amount of material we're going to cover to have a lot of blanks. So 1A, the beauty through greatness. Here, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created. And in that sense, considering the ability, the creative act of God is a beauty of greatness. Because you and I are created in God's image, we can be creative people, we can create paintings, we can build houses, we can create beautiful things, but there is a distinction from our creative acts and God's creative act. God's creative act is like none other. The ability to take from nothing into everything that is today. As you consider... It's, it's, this ability is it's unique, it's godlike, and you consider that the human body, just the complexity of the human body, and any of you who have had a rare disease or know somebody who has a rare disease and the doctors can't figure out what's going on, the complexity of our body can defy even the most well-studied doctors of this world. Just trying to understand DNA and all that is, is just an amazing amount of research involved with that. So the, the, God created the idea of a distribution system. God created the idea of sustenance and the need for food. God created the idea of reproduction. God created the idea of a need for sleep and renewal. Pretty much anything that you can consider in this life, well, not pretty much anything we can think about, you think about the fact of God creating that. And I suppose, you know, this is just a matter of course for those who are followers of Christ. And I hope that you and I can get beyond that boring fact. And that beauty through greatness and the beauty of God's greatness, we see it in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, would not just be boring, but it would cause us to worship. And I think for most of us, at most times, we need God's help with that. Because we kind of get, yeah, yeah, God created the heavens and the earth, the children's story, move on. 
And we don't worship God for his greatness. God's greatness is beautiful. And that is something that should cause us to worship. Anytime you feel your limitations, anytime you want to get more done or you want to know how to do something and you're struggling with it and you need help, that's a great moment to worship God because he effortlessly is able to create, think, design. He knows nothing of those limitations. 1B, beauty through goodness. Beauty through goodness. Yesterday morning, I was sitting out Saturday morning. It was a beautiful morning on the back patio, just enjoying the breeze, looking at the trees, looking at the sun, looking at the bean field back here, and just considering God's goodness and the goodness of His creation. As you look at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, another word that you can mark is the word good. You see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 4, And God saw that the light was good. It's an interesting adjective for light. You ever say, oh, that's, that light's good. I mean, it's just, just, you know, we're considering that there's a good value to light. Verse 10, and God saw that it was good. Verse 12, and God saw that it was good. Verse 18, and God saw that it was good. Verse 21, and God saw that it was good. And then verse 31 is a conclusion to the first rendition in chapter 1 of creation. Chapter 2 starts another rendition of it. But at the conclusion of the first rendition of it, verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. When we live in our broken world, sometimes we are just consumed with brokenness. Our own brokenness, or how someone else has hurt us, or how our circumstances are negative or bothering us, and we fail to consider the beauty through goodness of God's creation. 1C, beauty through relationship. Beauty through relationship. Back in chapter 1, and then verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. The concept of relationship comes from God himself. God himself was never by himself. Even before creation, he had a relationship within himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So this concept of being able to draw a relationship with one another, unity and diversity, comes from God himself. God is one, but he is three. And the beauty of relationship that comes from that is imprinted upon his creation. It's imprinted through between God and man. 
See, there's unity between God and man, but also there's diversity. There's also that imprint. It goes upon marriage. You have a husband and a wife. There can be very different people, yet they are one together in Him. That happens within a church. There's diversity in a church. There's all kinds of gifts and backgrounds and perspectives, races, all kinds of diversity within a church, and yet there is unity together in the body of Christ. So this idea of relationship is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's also a distinctive factor which enables us to make a decision because we are not robots. Again, I go back to some people, they struggle with, well, why do we have the capacity to sin? Well, if we were to take the capacity to sin away, then we would not have the capacity for relationship. And so as we consider that, the negative is that there was a capacity to choose to do wrong in God's creation, not in God himself. I'm being a little ahead of myself there, but that is an essential part of relationship. We enjoy the beauty of relationship because we are created in God's image and we have the ability to make moral choices. So that was beauty through relationship. And then we have... 1D, beauty because of God. Beauty because of God. And I mentioned this before. All the beauty that we can consider comes only from God. That alone should drive us to appreciate God and to praise Him. The very fact that you can sit on your back patio and enjoy God's good and beautiful creation or celebrate that wonderful relationship you have in marriage, or that wonderful relationship you have with your children, that beauty of goodness comes from God alone. And then finally, letter E, beauty in the new creation. As we consider the best story ever. Have you ever considered that the Bible begins and ends with creation? The Bible begins and ends with the creation. We have the original creation in the garden, and then we have the new creation when the old has passed away. New creation is only available for those who have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, saved by faith. And so as we look at the beauty of the first creation that we still live in, even though it's fallen, we must call to mind the new creation that God's people will one day enjoy for those who have been saved. Now, we absolutely do not want to miss the beauty of creation, but we also still must look at the fall, or what we call the fall, the fall into sin in Genesis Chapter 3, because it's also an important part of the best story ever. So, number two, the tragedy of the fall. The tragedy of the fall. Number one was the beauty of the beginning. Number two, the tragedy of the fall. And this was a terrible tragedy. So, 2A, the origin of sin. The origin of sin. Those of us who know our Bibles know that God, sin cannot come from God. It never can. But there was a capacity for sin for God's people. And Genesis chapter 3 tells 
how God's people chose to sin. And then 1B, or 2B, the effect of sin, the effect of sin. Sin separates us from God. Now, I do want to point out, as I pointed out many times before, the result of sin also sends us running from God, and God pursues us to rescue us. But when it comes down to fellowship, the fellowship with God was broken in the Garden of Eden and marred. As you see at the end of chapter 3, God drove Adam and Eve from the Garden. They can no longer have that fellowship with Him, but He set into place a, a, um, a plan for, to rescue them that culminates when we are fully rescued, God, His people, and creation together again in the new creation. And so we were alienated from God, we were separated from God, but also we have within our hearts because of sin that we run from God and God pursues us. And so that's um, letter 2C, the rescue from sin. The rescue from sin. And Genesis 3.15 is the first mention of God's rescue plan. So there's terrible news in Genesis chapter 3. But the good news also is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. When God is pronouncing judgment, first the serpent, then the woman, and then the man. In his judgment on the serpent, he gives us the first mention of the good news of the gospel. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So that's the idea. He there is referring to Jesus Christ in a prophetic utterance. Jesus Christ is prophesied to, some people translate the word bruise as crush. Jesus Christ will crush Satan's head through the cross. But yet, Satan will bruise Jesus' heel through the cross. Satan will have an effect on Jesus through the cross. That is the beginning of God's plan of rescue. God is not content with what happened in the garden. He wants fellowship with his people, with creation. And so, he pursues us through his son, Jesus. 2D, the ongoing drama of sin. The ongoing drama of sin. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the beginning of two different kingdoms. And that is our situation today. We, in this world, there are two different spiritual kingdoms. First kingdom is the kingdom of God. But then there is the kingdom of the devil. We could also say the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And there is this kingdom conflict that starts in Genesis chapter 3 and does not end until Revelation chapter 20. And we are still in the midst of that kingdom conflict. A great victory was won at the cross but complete and ultimate victory is achieved at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so one of the most fundamental things as we look at the best story ever, the story of the scriptures is this 
concept of the kingdom conflict. It runs throughout all the scriptures. It runs throughout all of time until Jesus returns. It affects every single one of us. It affects everybody in the world, this two kingdom conflict. And as you look at the once and upon a time stories, there's always some sort of conflict, some sort of bad guy, and there's some sort of resolution and there's victory and there's a reason why we we get into those storylines because we sense that there's bad guys we want to see those bad guys trounced so we love those stories where there's a conflict between good guy and bad guy and bad guy gets trounced real good good guy wins rah 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 and we get a little sense of victory from those stories But ultimately, as we consider why we are attracted to that, we need to come back to this two-kingdom conflict. And that there is a bad kingdom. There is a bad guy in all of his people. And we are against them, and they are against us. It is a spiritual conflict. And the best story ever says how the bad guy loses and the good guy wins. That's a fundamental part of the best story ever. So as we consider these two kingdoms, Genesis starts off beautifully, one and two, the greatness and goodness of creation, the wonder of God, the wonder of relationship. It goes down, way downhill in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall, but there's a promise of a future Savior in Genesis 3.15. And what happens in Genesis chapter 4? We go even lower, Abel, is murdered by Cain. We thought, boy, it was already bad, but then it goes, it gets even worse with Genesis chapter 4. And then we see what happens with Cain later on in Genesis chapter 4 and his descendants. And we see that it gets even worse with Cain and his descendants. Then you go over to Genesis chapter 6. You thought it was getting bad. Well, Genesis chapter 6, it gets even worse where it says that everybody on earth continually, all the time, nonstop, all they could think about was doing wrong and evil. Is all lost? Is all overcome? Was it a mistake for God to make his creation and to create people? One of the major themes throughout your Bible, and this best story ever, is demonstrated here in Genesis chapter 6. It seems like all is lost. All are evil. But God always has a remnant. God always has his people. He always has a remnant. And here we see that with Noah. The remnant through Noah. God will always have a remnant. Even when things seem terrible, God always has his people. God will never be overcome. And so... We have this amazing story of the flood and how God brings judgment, but also salvation through Noah. So God does bring judgment, but he also always brings salvation through his people. And then we see chapter 10. And in chapter 10, if you were to read through that, it seems like a bunch of boring stuff. But you can rec- begin to recognize some of the city names that are, that are talked about, that are founded after the flood. And you know, one of them is going to be Assyria, one of them is going to be Babel, where Babylon comes from. So we see here that even after this worldwide flood where God judges and the, 
he brings salvation through a narrow remnant of Noah and his family, that still there is a counter kingdom. And you can see where this counter kingdom finds its root in many of these cities. And then in chapter 11, this counter kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, still rises its ugly head in Genesis chapter 11, where the the Tower of Babel, where men are exalting themselves against God and trying to say, hey, we are, we're going to go all the way up to God. They're trying to exalt their own greatness. And God dismantles them and takes them down, scatters them. Again, the kingdom conflict plays itself out here in Genesis 11 as it does throughout all of the best story ever. There's going to be that conflict where the kingdom of darkness exalts itself against God and God deals with the kingdom of darkness through his own acts or through his people. As we consider the extent of the fall, the tragedy of the fall, I do not want us to underestimate the extent of our own sin. You and I think of ourselves better than we actually are. It's just a fact. The scriptures teach you that, teach us that, that we think of ourselves better than we actually are. And we underestimate our need for God. It's interesting, well, in a sad sort of way, we see this play out with our children. This last week, Joel came home, and my wife happened to know, because she talked to his teacher, that during the day, they have a clip chart system. It's a behavior rewarding system. Well, Joel had clipped down to red during the day, which is really, really, that's as far as you can go, bad. And he had been bad. Now, throughout the day, he had started to clip back up, but... She happened to know that he had had a few rough spots and he got clipped way down. And so when he got home, we were all sitting there in the living room and she began to ask him, hey, Joel, did you, how did you do today? And Did you clip down today? And Joel did everything in the world to avoid the conversation. He did not want to talk about it. But it gets better, folks. I decided to tell the story on Joel. I think I wrote this on Wednesday. Well, something happened on Friday. And so Joel got a note home. And now he's young enough, I can say these things. You know, as he gets older, I won't be so forthcoming about these things. But it's great stories for sermons right now. So Joel got a note home. It's called the Orange Note. So he ended the day on just above red. So he got a note. And, and um, um, Joel came into my wife's classroom because that's where the kids gather at the end of the day. And um, my wife looked into his backpack and his folder that he brings home every day was not in his backpack. And she said, Joel, where's your folder? Oh, I don't know. I don't know where my folder is. And she had to go find his folder. He had hidden it because he knew that there was a note home in his folder. And so all this is illustrating the same thing that you do as well and that I do as well. We want to hide, shrink away from, cover up. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden? They wanted to cover up. They wanted to manage their shame, hide from the Lord. We do not want to think about our sin. We want to hide our sin. 
But part of the tragedy of the fall is not about everybody else and everybody else's sin. It's about your sin as well. And you need to daily consider the tragedy of the fall in Genesis 3 in light of how you think about yourself as well as the world around you. So number one is the beauty of the beginning. Number two is the tragedy of the fall. And number three is the attack of the critics. The attack of the critics. You see, Genesis is fiercely criticized and attacked by the world. Especially Genesis chapters 1 through 11. It would be a distraction for me this morning to go over all the ways that the critics attack Genesis chapters 1 through 11. But they're all similar in one way. All the critical attacks against Genesis chapter, chapters 1 through 11 are ultimately saying that you cannot take these chapters literally. That what they say did not actually happen. I'm reading a book right now titled America and Iran. And it goes over the history of the relationship between America and Iran going back to the 1600s. I'm in a part right now, I'm just finishing up a part, was, was the, covering the relationship between America and Iran in the 1960s and 70s culminating with the Iranian Revolution of 1979. Some of you could care less about all this, but I'm going I'm to bring it home and tell you why I'm telling you this, is that America believed what it wanted to believe about Iran in the 1960s and 70s. But what America believed about Iran wasn't true. They just wanted to believe what they thought was true was true. And by the time Iran said enough with you, America, and rebelled, which, by the way, the history explains why Iran was fed up with America because America had been a jerk to Iran for decades. And now we're bearing the fruit of it. But by the time the Iranian people said enough with you, America, and they had a revolution and threw us out and threw out our puppet leader that America had put in place in America, in Iran, America, which if you were alive then, what you were watching on TV, what they were telling you wasn't a proper perspective because America was in denial. And the reason why we were in denial is because we wanted something to be true that was not true. And I want to bring that home for you and us in our own human nature. We have a vested interest into thinking the wrong things. That is a part of human nature. And that's what it comes down to here with the scriptures. People have a vested interest in trying to undermine the authority of the scriptures. So 3A, attack on authority. 3A is attack on authority. People look for ways to discredit Genesis to the point of delusion. And that's what we do in life. We can 
look for ways to think what we want to be true to the point of being delusional. When the opposite is true, we do that with the scriptures. It seems so obvious to those of us who believe in Christ that God did create the world and he had the power to do that and this Bible is true and accurate. But the human nature and sin causes people to come up with delusional ways to discredit Genesis chapters 1 through 11. But in the same way, we can be delusional in our own Christian lives about things, about ourselves and about others. 3B, attack by use of authority. So 3A was attack on authority. They're attacking the authority of Genesis 1 through 11 by giving reasons that Genesis 1 through 11 cannot be true, but then they use authority to attack authority. In other words, they come up with all these respectable scholarly reasons trying to tell you why they have the authority to tell you that Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are not true. In this attack by use of authority on authority, it happens all throughout our lives. It's happening here as we try to make sense of the pandemic. All the authorities are using their authority against other authorities to undermine their authority. And so the question of authority is always an essential question for the Christian life and for the scriptures in the best story ever. Our tendency is to have a twisted view of authority, including the authority of God himself. And so as we consider the best story ever in this question of authority, we need to consider that as a follower of Christ, that we, by faith, acknowledge the best story ever is the ultimate authority. And there will always be a tax on it, saying it cannot be the authority. So let's pull it all together here and wrap it all up for this morning. This is the last phrase on your handout. Genesis is the once upon a time of the best story ever. It explains the beginning of all things. The beginning of the kingdom conflict and the the last one we're going to get next week. The last one we're going to get next week. There's one more thing that I want to um, give you when we're trying to pull together Genesis and summarize it, and that's what we're going to cover in chapters 12 through 50. You say, well, that's a lot of chapters. Well, chapters 12 through 50 really can be tied together with one theme. and It's a very prominent theme that starts, yes, in Genesis, but it is a theme that is throughout all of the scriptures as well. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity to study your word. Spirit of God, I pray that you bring it home to us as it was a lot to think about. pray that you bless it and cause it to bloom in our hearts. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.